I want to talk about the rom-com. The rom-com. Yeah. Like as a genre. Yes. Okay. Here's why I want to talk about it. Please. So earlier this year, uh-huh. Netflix released this movie called The Kissing Booth. Okay. My friends recommended it to me. It's cute. It's not like traditional rom-com mm-hmm. to me. It's cute, enjoyable. I watched it once. Mm-hmm. No desire to need to watch that again. Sure. Partly because the male protagonist in that film is... Do you remember in Pitch Perfect, like the obnoxious... No. Did you ever see... Mm-mm. Oh, the original Pitch Perfect was I know. Fun. I actually think I would like it. Yeah, it was fun. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, this is going to be... I just fun. haven't seen it. But anyway, well, go ahead. Well, there's an... I don't know his name, so mm-hmm. now it's lost on me. But, like, he's this short actor. I think he's also in that HBO show about Silicon Valley. Oh. Is he on that? He's got kind of a bulldog face. Oh, TJ Miller? This is short, squatty guy. Yeah. Is that him? Does he have, like, curly hair? No. Okay, then I don't know who you're talking about. TJ Miller's like a... Oh, he's Care. awful. Yeah. <laughs> no. He's a monster. This guy is different. Okay. But anyway, my point is, he's not super handsome. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry I just used the word bulldog face to describe someone. <laughs> but but in my head, every person is an animal, and that's that person's animal. Okay. Okay. So, I'm sorry. But he, m- my point is, the male protagonist is not like... Mm-hmm. Um, not conventionally attractive. Conventionally attractive. And so, I thought that movie... And it was cute, but it was also a little cheesy in mm-hmm. parts, whatever. Fast forward. But also rewind to okay. a week ago. Okay. When, or two weeks ago, when Netflix released the romantic comedy Set It Up. Uh huh. Guys, the rom com is back. In, in a big way. In a big way and in a good way. Like, I've already watched it twice. Okay. I watched it back to back. It was recommended to me by Netflix yesterday. Well, you and Kelsey should see if you enjoy it. Okay. It is delightful to me. Cool. It is an homage to the rom-coms of the 90s and early aughts but it also is very modern Mm -hmm. and millennial and funny like it's like in the spirit of Nora Ephron or yeah like quippy okay like I love quippy I love snark back and Mm -hmm. forth um and I I just want the world to know like it's so good. The rom-com is alive and well, everybody. It's alive and well. And the writers of this rom-com or the creators of this movie, like the music that plays in the background is like traditional rom-com okay. style. Like the main actors are funny and their chemistry is phenomenal. I think that's the other thing. You don't have to be conventionally attractive. No. As I have discussed, yeah. I prefer a blandly handsome man. And the guy in this movie is blandly handsome at its finest. You'll <laughs> see it and you'll text me and you'll be like, Annie, oh, I understand. Yeah, I get it. But... It's their chemistry. And I think in the kissing booth, there was a little lack of chemistry mm-hmm. to me. And in this, like these two actors, to borrow an early millennial phrase, I ship them. Mm-hmm. Like I want them to be together in okay. real life as well. It is delightful. There's this pizza scene. Please, pizza I just, scene. I need you to watch it. Okay, I it's will. It's so good. From the title, I thought it was going to be a volleyball movie and I don't know why. Okay, I thought it was going to be, so two of the actors... In it are Lucy Liu and Tay Diggs. Oh, okay. Tay Diggs is hilarious yeah. to me. Uh, but anyway, they play like these bosses and... Oh, I've seen the trailer for this. Okay, I know what you're talking about <laughs> now. Adorable. This one, Yeah, 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 where the assistants are setting up their bosses so yes. they can have more time for themselves. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah, okay, yeah. No, I want to watch that. It's so good. Also, let's talk about... Do you know who Pete Davidson is from yeah. SNL? 
Is he Steve Buscemi's son? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he might be. He looks just like him. You're not wrong. It's nuts. Did you see the video of him and Ariana Grande doing um, um, Evanescence's Bring Me to Life at karaoke? No. All right, we're going to look it up and watch it before we um, actually start recording this show. Okay, that's fair. episode 178 of From the Front Porch, a collection of conversations on books, small business, and life in the South. My name is Chris Jensen, and I'm back on the grind. And I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. It's the end of the month. We did it. We did it. (laughs) Looks like we made it. Looks like we made it. There was some, I was looking at old Instagram posts from something. Oh, I was looking at things I was tagged in. Okay. And it was something that you or the bookshelf tagged me in. Okay. Regarding some like episode milestone. Okay. And I wrote in my comment brackets Shania Twain voice. Looks like we made it. It received no feedback. Oh, I'm so sorry. And I was like, look, that was a really funny comment. That was really funny. <laughs> also, when so when you say looks like we made it, you go to Shania. I am, yeah. I immediately go to Barry Manilow. Interesting. That's fascinating. That is. Because, and I, look, and I love um, Shania Twain. And I'm not a fan of Low. Oh, I am. God, mm. Mandy, you came and you gave without taking. I just love it so much. Um, but, wait a minute. Speaking of Shania Twain, mm-hmm. uh, Ashley yesterday sent me this link of um, Harry Styles singing You're Still the One. In a concert. Is it good? Guys, it's good. Oh, I believe it. Like, it it makes me want to pay money to go hear Harry Styles. And I'm already a fan of his. Like, of the One Direction children, he is my favorite. Oh, yeah, for sure. But, oh, it made me so happy. And it gave me intense 90s nostalgia. So there's a video from several years ago now of Taylor Swift doing that. I don't even remember who the original artist is. But it's the one that's like, there ain't nothing about you. They don't do something for me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like her at an awards show doing that. Yeah. Like, it's amazing. Yeah. Like, the cover is so much better than the yeah. original. Isn't that so great? Yeah. Anyway, you gotta go Google that. Harry Styles. Google all these covers. Yeah. Um, Ariana Grande, Pete Davidson, Harry Styles, Taylor Swift, like... Barry Manilow. Barry Manilow. <laughs> Shania Twain. I didn't know she was Canadian. She oh, is yeah, Canadian. Oh, yeah, she's Canadian. I learned that, like, two weeks ago. Look, there's a lot to love about Canadians. Have True. we talked... Especially now. Yeah. Have we talked about the Canadian ice dancers? Yes, at length, at great length. Let me tell you something. Please. I still look up that hashtag every day. (laughs) Every day to find out what's new with the Canadian ice dancers. That's one of the greatest things you've ever told me. Um, (laughs) Like, like, guys, I care. I care so deeply. I I know. I care. I care so much. I know you do. I just want them to be together. <laughs> and I, they're, they're your Jim and Pam. They are. And I watch their ice dancing videos at least once a week. And is she with a Roy? She's is not with anyone. Mm, is he with a Roy? No. Or a he, Karen, I guess? He's not with anyone. <sighs> Although weirdly. This is tragic. Guys, deep dive. They did yesterday the big Virtue More News. Okay. That's their names. Oh, okay. Tessa Virtue, Scott Moore. Um was that he's like 
I guess, pretty well known for not being on Instagram. Like, mm-hmm. he doesn't, he's on it, but he mm-hmm. doesn't post, whatever. But Johnny Weir, you know, that ice skate. No, I was like, Andy Weir, author of The Martian? <laughs> no, I'm sorry, this is a book podcast? Right. <laughs> No, no, Johnny Weir, the ice skater, you sure. know, the very flamboyant one. Mm. Nope. I didn't watch the Winter Olympics this year. Any year? Johnny Weir is now the... I know. Wait, Johnny Weir is now the guy who commentates alongside Tara Lipinski. Oh, okay. Okay. He sure. always wears weird hats. They look like they're from the Hunger Games. <laughs> okay. okay. So, so Johnny Weir <laughs> learned to slow dance. Scott Moore taught him how to slow dance. Oh. All right. It was fun. <laughs> We can get back to books now. I guess. It's but, the end of the month. Oh, we did make it. And so it is time for our monthly reading recap. Reading recap. Um, it's that time of the month. Yikes. Yikes. Not where I was going Took with that. Took a turn. Took a turn. Um, sorry, everybody. <laughs> but uh, We're so tired. <laughs> can you tell? Except I think that's every time we record. It is. No, we're always just punch drunk. And that's, that's what people love about us. We, that should be our tagline. Punch drunk on books and love. <laughs> yep. All right. So I read some books. And I also read some books. Hallelujah. I know, right? Um, mine aren't anything groundbreaking. No, nor are mine. Okay. Well, one of mine is. But one of mine is. Two okay, of great. mine. Okay. So here we we're are. gonna be okay. <laughs> Looks like we made it. <laughs> So let's start with you. What did you read this month? So I started off my month by reading two books that I kind of had to read. Mm -hmm. So Patreon supporters will know that earlier this month Mm -hmm. you posted two interviews I did with some authors. The first was uh, with Southern writer Karen White. Mm -hmm. Karen Karen White recently wrote the book Dreams of Falling. She is a pretty well-known Southern writer. I've read a couple of her books. She's got several books. She's one of those that comes out with something I feel like every year. Yeah. Um, and our customers who love Mary Kay Andrews, Ellen Hildebrand, mm-hmm. like they love um, Karen White. So she wrote Dreams of Falling. It's outside my genre um, just because I don't read a ton of like contemporary Southern lit yeah. with the exception maybe of Jocelyn Jackson. Sure. Uh, but I really enjoyed this and here's why. It takes place in the South in the summer and I will tell you right now. It is 105 degrees outside yep. with a humidity that makes it feel like 119. Yep. That's not an exaggeration, y'all. Yeah, that no, was the weather real. earlier this week. I do not want to read any books featuring cold temperatures or requiring sweaters. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to touch it. We get, had a whole end cap of get, cold books. Get those out of my sight. <laughs> I don't want to read them. What I want to read is about miserable people okay. enduring the miserable southern heat. Okay. Dreams of Falling is perfect for that. Great. So it takes place between uh, the 50s and then modern times. Okay. So it kind of goes back and forth about um, a woman who is best friends and something happens with her group of friends in the 50s when they're all kind of coming of age. Mm -hmm. And something happens and we don't quite know what it is. The novel unfolds to reveal to us those secrets. And then it flashes forward kind of every other chapter to modern day Mm -hmm. and the implications that kind of secret has had on her family. Mm -hmm. Uh, I liked this book because it has strong female protagonists also older female protagonists. Mm-hmm. So the main character obviously that I related to the most is around my age, like right. in her late 20s, early 30s. But I really do love literature and we're going to talk about a book um, that really fit the bill later this month or later this episode. But um, I love a protagonist, female protagonist who ages yeah. and who 
like life doesn't end after 40. Right. Because <laughs> like, I feel like sometimes in literature we get sure. these great coming of age stories, both with male and female protagonists. But then we don't get to see what happens to them. Right. And it's like our stories end after we have kids or right. our stories end uh, after we hit a certain pe- uh, period of adulthood. And I don't think that's true. Um, so I think Karen White has done a really good job of crafting a really interesting story. It's a page turner. Mm-hmm. And it's a book perfectly suited to reading on your front porch, even in the miserable heat, because they are hot. Like, in the book, yeah. they are enduring, like, a South Carolina summer. And so, like, I was drinking an Arnold Palmer on my front porch and feeling like, these people get me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I understand this. Yeah. Beach read? Yes. Potentially for, definitely, like, Definitely. Definitely a beach read. You know what would be really fun? It's a multi-generational beach read. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's got several female protagonists of varying ages, I can totally see, like, this is a book my mom and I could have passed cool. back and forth. And we do sometimes get requests for books that are more PG. Yeah. And um, I'm not always great about that. I'm terrible at that. Um, but this one is PG. Cool. And, and doesn't sacrifice story. That's great. So I think, I think it's commercially enjoyable. Cool. Um, the second one, I know you did your interview with Gail Huntingman. Yes. Um, who wrote, Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. Yeah. So this is a book that came out in hardback about a year ago. Mm-hmm. It was a Reese Witherspoon book club pick. Uh, Ashley read this book and loved it. My book club read it and loved it, but it was one of those months where I Which couldn't get kinda, around to yeah. it. So when um, Gail Huntingman was available for an interview, I decided to read it. It's now out in paperback. Perfect timing, by the way, because this also would make a great beach read. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit... Um, heavier subject matter I think now it's handled in a darkly funny way Mm -hmm. so Eleanor Oliphant is the heart of this book you will fall in love with her Mm -hmm. I fell in love with her Um, she's kind of remember the Rosie Project years ago okay to me this is a comp for the Rosie Project where you've got this um, character who clearly is socially awkward Mm -hmm. um, but instead of maybe taking that a direction like I think the Rosie Project um, the main character was somewhere on the autism spectrum, Mm -hmm. I believe, this character has been deeply affected by trauma. Mm -hmm. And so you see Eleanor Oliphant, and she doesn't socialize with her coworkers. She makes these comments that are so... I mean, these Mm one-liners that are like zingers. The reason they're zingers is because they're things you or I might think, but we would never say out loud. Mm -hmm. So she kind of critiques waiters and waitresses. She, um, She talks about... I don't know, social norms are foreign to her. Uh But it's because, as we learn, Eleanor Oliphant is not completely fine. Mm -hmm. Like, she has... As most people who say they are, are not. That's correct. And so it's a a very funny, uh, darkly funny look at this young woman who has been deeply affected by trauma. Um, But it, to me, is handled in such a a good way. Like, Mm -hmm. you definitely are left asking questions and wondering, you know, that phrase, um, I don't even know who to attribute it to, but it's pretty popular, especially right now. Like be kind because everyone you meet is facing a hard battle. Socrates. Okay. That's what I thought, but yeah. I, I didn't want to say it because you know how the internet yep. makes quotes. Makes things up. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, that might not be true. Um, anyway, that's what you leave Eleanor Oliphant feeling. You, you, 
it reminds you of people's humanity a That's little great. bit. That's um, great. And the interview with Gail Honeyman, if you are a Patreon supporter, I think it's a great interview yeah, because she's an older writer. Uh-huh. So and she, Irish. Yeah, she's Irish, so her voice is fantastic. It's wonderful. Uh, which apparently the audiobook to Eleanor Oliphant is excellent oh. uh, for that reason. But um, I don't think the author narrates it, but it is narrated in an Irish voice. Um, but... She, Gail Honeyman, is older, and so she wrote this book while working a full-time job, which I always think is fascinating. with kids. With kids. And then she says um, that she was inspired to write this because she often wondered what would lead a person to behave this Mm -hmm. way. And how often do you meet somebody in the streets who maybe says something rude to you or... And, and our gut impulse, I think, is just to react to that. Oh, yeah. And instead, this author decided, no, let me think about what kind of person yeah, would me, do something like let that. Let me challenge you to, like, really understand, yeah. like, what might be going on in this person's life. So Eleanor Oliphant is the heart of the book, but I will say her friendship with um, this man who's kind of her co-worker, and there are slight romantic undertones there, but their platonic friendship is so lovely mm-hmm. to me. And and toward the end of the book, you're kind of left wondering if it's going to turn into something more. Um, that's not a spoiler. That's just kind of, you can see that coming from a mile away as you read the book. But I do love that we're kind of left wondering uh, because their relationship is so lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, so this book is deserving of the praise it has received. Now, I did think, I did see that a couple of fellow readers, maybe this wasn't for them, mm-hmm. If you liked The Rosie Project, if you liked Where'd You Go, Bernadette, Mm -hmm. this is for you. Um, It is, I thought it was excellent, and it's out in paperback now, so it's the perfect time to grab it. Um, I want to take a second here to plug my shelf subscription for July, which um, hasn't, I haven't seen comparisons to Eleanor Oliphant, but I have seen comparisons to The Rosie Project. Okay. It was described as The Rosie Project meets a personal heart of darkness in one review that I read. Oh. Um, and it's kind of similar. Like, uh, the main character, Dennis, is coping with loss, and he's kind of dissociated. Okay. And he has, like, these three um, competing personalities that he's interacting with. Interesting. And it is very funny. Yeah. And ultimately, like, a little bit cute. Yeah. But still kind of dark along the way. Yeah. So it's like, if you liked Eleanor Oliphant, but wanted it to have, like, a shade more darkness. Yeah. Um, but still hopeful by the end yeah. and like nice. Yeah. Um, I recommend Me, Myself, and Them by Dan Mooney. Okay. Um, just came out in June. Um, it is my July shelf subscription, which you know now because it's July. Okay. Well, that sounds great. Yeah. No, I think you'd like that one. Okay. It looked good mm-hmm. and it's got a funny cover. It does. Um, so then I read Crazy Rich Asians, mm-hmm. which I won't go into detail because we already did a, whole podcast a podcast last about it, but I will say... If you've put off reading Crazy Rich Asians, or if you're like me and you started that, like I started that book mm-hmm. years ago, uh, yeah, several years ago, and did not—I don't know—it didn't resonate with me at all. And this time, it hooked me from page one. Like, I just thought it was so great, and perhaps the most fun I've had reading in yeah. a really long time. And so. there's so much to that idea that books find you at the right time. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um. And but then you also read the sequel. Yeah. So I finished. So I moved on to the sequel. I will say I did not love the sequel as much. And that's a pretty common criticism, right? I think so. Um. I also feel like that's a pretty, in my mind, common criticism of trilogies in general. In general. Yeah. Star Wars being the exception. I could do without Toy Story two entirely. Me too. I just don't like Jesse. One and <laughs> and I do like Jesse, but. <laughs> But one and three are just perfect. Yeah. And like two is a solid B yes. for me. And that's what China Rich Girlfriend felt like. Like 
I wanted more of these characters, mm-hmm. so I, I wanted to read this book. Yeah. I never felt like it was a chore by any means, but it just wasn't as um, fast of a romp. Like, I, I don't know. I didn't love it as much. That being said, uh, Kate had told me that... Uh, gosh, what's the third book called? Rich um, People Problems. Yes. She said it was excellent. So I imagine this is just a typical trilogy yep. where the second one is good, but, but not perhaps as good. right, perhaps not as good. And so I will say, if you read Crazy Rich Asians and you liked it and you liked those people, then keep reading the whole series. Like, and the movie looks so good. <laughs> I, I keep watching the trailer out of anticipation. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited. I hope that movie slam dunks at the box office me too i really do um when's its release date august 14th sometime okay so it's set up in kind of that oh the doldrums doldrums time yeah um please go see it you guys crazy rich asians read the book the second one is enjoyable too and i'm i think i'm gonna read the third one on my july 4th vacation awesome um which you know our listeners are just missing oh it's it's july (laughs) today is june 29th (laughs) Um, what's next? Um, Ann Tyler? Yeah, Ann Tyler. Uh, so I, have you read her? No. Okay. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Like, I feel like I have, but I haven't actually. Do you think it's because, look, booksellers get just as confused as regular people. Yeah. And I think I associated her with vampires. Oh, that's Anne Rice. Exactly. And I associated her, I think, with Ann Packer. Oh. There's a totally different like literary fiction yeah. author. <laughs> okay, so there you go. Yeah. So it happens to the best of us. I just haven't read Ann Tyler. Now, I knew... Remember, I feel like you will remember this because it came out a couple years ago, Spool of Blue Thread. I do remember Mm -hmm. that book cover because that was like a New York Times bestseller forever. I didn't read it. Um, But that's another um, Ann Tyler book. Finally, Clock Dance Mm -hmm. uh, came across my shelf. um, Partly because it is... What day is it when when this goes live? Uh, July 5th. Okay, so maybe you might get this in the mail soon. I don't know. <laughs> you might be getting Dan Mooney yeah. or you might be or getting Ann Tyler. We get don't know. Tyler. So she recently wrote Clock Dance, um, which is her newest book. Mm-hmm. Cool cover. It's got a cactus. Great cover. Cactus, cacti. Cacti are in. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Oh, they are. They yes. totally are. Um, but I read this after sometimes, and this is, goodness, I'm going to miss Kate, because sometimes a book would come across where I was like, I think I want to read this, but Kate just read so fast. Mm -hmm. And so I would hand it to her first and be like, hey, if you think I would like this, let me know. So she read it, and she was like, I actually do think you'd like this. So I read it. Here's what I love. Mm -hmm. It's a book about a, um, a woman named Willa. We see her, when the book opens, at age 11. Okay. We see her at 21. Okay. At 31. Mm Mm-hmm. And then it's 61. Oh, that's a jump. The whole last half of the book is 61. Her is her at the age of 61. So interesting, like the Karen White. Yes. Thing. And yeah, this totally would make a great, if you've just finished Dreams of Falling, then to me, Clock Dance fits right in with that, would pair nicely with it. Um, Look, when I first read it, I was almost a little disappointed at the jump because I adored this idea of looking at a character when they're 11, looking at them when they're 21, mm-hmm. looking at them when they're 31. I just loved only getting a glimpse at them every decade. Yeah. Because what uh, Ann Tyler did so well was she didn't fill me in on the whole backstory of right. those 10 years. You just kind of picked up 
right here's where we are yeah here's where we are and so you got to see wow she must have had kids she mm-hmm. must have oh what happened to her, her husband oh what happened here um i loved that device and so then for the back half of the book to just be to kind of return to more traditional storytelling yeah. wasn't a put off i just had to kind of adjust my brain yeah that being said willa at 61 is a fascinating character. Interesting. She's someone who is a little bit passive. Mm-hmm. She maybe has made some decisions for other people her whole life, and now she's 61 and she's suffering the consequences of that. Mm. And so she makes this decision uh, to go take care of, let me see if I can get this right, her son's ex-girlfriend's little girl. Okay. So you've got this interesting, you know, kind of pairing, sorry, of like a 61-year-old with like, a 10 year old uh-huh. and these are two people who haven't really met before and the bond that they form. I, that back half of the book reminds me so much of a man called Uva mm. in that you've got kind of this unsure, not really grouchy cause Willa is not grouchy, but you've got kind of this unsure character who befriends a younger person mm-hmm. and kind of their life morphs and changes. And you get this neighborhood of very quirky characters yeah. uh, who Willa kind of befriends. And so if you love, again, a female protagonist who's a little bit older, you get to see she's rich and nuanced and interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you also get kind of these quirky neighborly characters and that first half of the book feels so poignant to mm-hmm. me to get a glimpse at her every 10 years. And that explains who she is. Yeah, yeah, totally explains who she is. So look, Clock Dance is not for you if you want a plot-driven novel. This is a character-driven novel. Mm-hmm. We are looking at Willa, and she is the focus. And everything else kind of feels extraneous, like just mm-hmm. extra. Uh, and it's, you know, important because it formulates who she becomes Mm -hmm. but really we're just getting a deep kind of character study of willa um maybe if you liked gosh what was that book olive kittredge Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. it's a little more accessible to me than olive kittredge i actually didn't wind up loving that collection but um anyway if you like quiet novels that are focused on a character Mm -hmm. then i think you'll really like clock dance and the first half is very memorable to me really really well done so i'm so who knows maybe i'm sold on ann tyler now maybe maybe yeah that could be cool uh and i i just know like i could name you customers who are gonna love that book yeah no that's one of my favorite things about book selling when you read a book and know who you're gonna try to sell it to yeah i've got like in my head sue if you're listening suzanne if you're listening like i (laughs) i like have them in my brain of who needs to get this book we're looking out for you the last book you read, I know, is one that you really loved. Guys, listen, oh God. A Place for Us. A Place for Us. Um, and I, I'm I'm sorry. I need to tell her name because the author is phenomenal. And maybe you can help me um, pronounce it. Because I want to give her credit. Sure. So the author of A Place for Us is um, 26 years old. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Does that make you feel terrible? Yes. <laughs> she has been working on this novel since she was 18. Good for her. Uh, Fatima Farheen Mirza. I would say Fatima Farheen Mirza, yeah. There you go. Um, so she is a Muslim-American writer. This book is about a, let me see how I should do this, a Muslim-Indian-American family. Mm-hmm. So they have moved from India to America. Mm-hmm. Uh, the book opens on the wedding of the eldest daughter. I I don't even know how quite to describe this book. So 
it jumps back and forth. It plays a lot with time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as a result, it also plays a lot with these characters. Um, We have a a mother and father Mm -hmm. who met when they were married, like they had an arranged marriage. Mm -hmm. Uh, She moved from India to marry uh, this man in America. Mm -hmm. When they were in America, they had three children, Mm -hmm. two daughters and a son. And you, throughout the novel get each of these family members at various points in time. Mm-hmm. So as a result, you get this really complete picture of this family, mm-hmm. which I do not think always happens in literature, and I don't think it happens well. Um, she has written so beautifully about each family member, mm-hmm. perhaps the exception being that middle daughter. Uh, we don't get a ton from her perspective, uh, but I still felt like I left the book with a sense of who that person was. And I think that can be rare, especially when you're yeah. trying to describe five characters really yeah. well. Um so, you know, it opens on the wedding of the eldest daughter, but we kind of get flashbacks to the ch- to childhood. Um, obviously, for someone like me who loves dysfunctional family mm-hmm. stories, this is that because it's this family who is struggling with what parts of our culture do we hold on to while mm-hmm. we're in America? What parts of our culture and our religion are going to be passed on to our children and which are going to get left behind? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've got, yes, you've got a dysfunctional family, although not quite as dark maybe as I typically go. Um, But you also get really, really fascinating, interesting looks at Muslim culture Mm -hmm. and at at faith and religion and Mm -hmm. the role it plays both for the patriarch and matriarch of this family and then what their children choose to do with that faith. Um, The novel really, I guess, belongs to the youngest son, uh, but honestly, the eldest daughter... Uh, Kate and I kind of texted back and forth. I don't know if, if for me it's because I'm an eldest daughter, but her character whew, was so well-formulated. I just fell in love with her. Mm. Um, and then you get these wonderful glimpses of parenthood. It's the first book I think I've read where I thought, what an important call parenthood is and parenting is. And I think it's a shame that I don't, you don't often get that in literature. Uh, in my opinion, it can often feel like it's a chore or it's mm-hmm. played for laughs. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause I do think raising kids is funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you often get right. Like, uh, books that are about women who have lost themselves in mothering or so you either get the tragic mm-hmm. or the comedic mm-hmm. somehow this author has written a really beautiful tribute to parenthood, a really beautiful tribute to faith. Mm-hmm. Um, the last book I read that moved me this much, like I never read here, right? There's a rule, like we are too busy to read. Um, I brought this book to the bookshelf because I knew I had to come in late last night to work. Uh, and so I was like, I'm going to bring this book with me. Uh, so if I ever have like a down minute or like I need a little breather, I can finish it. So I, on my like little lunch, I read and I cried. Like it is, I have not been this moved by a novel in so long. It's so good. Hmm. It's so good. It's going to make my top 10 for sure. But I mean, I haven't read anything like this really since Gilead. Oh, wow. Robinson. It's so good. That's so exciting. I think, I think you would really like it. It sounds right up my alley. And it's a commitment. Um, It's big, right? It's big. 400-ish yeah, pages. so it's not um, terrible. But, yeah, it's not terrible. Here's the thing. I didn't want to rush through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I wound up, I think I took like a full week uh, to read this. And in fact, 
this is a book I started and I put down because I knew I like this, yeah. but I, I need, and so I think I read China Rich Girlfriend instead. Mm-hmm. Like, and then I picked this back up when I knew I was going to have some evenings where mm-hmm. I could just read this book, <laughs> where I could just read this book. So it's, oh, it's so, it's so good. I can't get over it. I like, I'm still thinking about those people. Yeah. That's great. That's yeah. the best kind of book there is. It's so what did you um, read? So I read um, David Sedaris's Calypso. Oh, yay. Um, I think it's his best collection. Really? I loved it. Did you read it or listen to I it? I listened to it. Okay. I have never read David Sedaris is my okay. my favorite thing to say. Your claim to fame. I have read all of his books and I have not actually read a single word of any of them. I listened to all of them. Well, he's such a great um, he's such verbal a storyteller. He's such a good like, reader of his own work. Yeah. And I've seen him live twice and I, I love him. Yeah. Um, I think it's his strongest and most unified collection. Um, the AV Club review started with something like, at 61, is there anything David Sedaris has left to tell us? And the answer is a resounding yes. See, this is what I'm talking about. Like, this is why we need older voices. And, it, it, and it's better. Yeah. Um, it's more focused. It's all about his family. Um, his mother died in the early 90s, but his sister um, committed suicide three or four years ago. And so the entire collection is kind of reevaluating what family means to him and his siblings and his father. And I think one of the last essays is specifically about his father, who has been very difficult his whole life, um, as you know if you've read David Sedaris, because it comes up all the time. Yeah. Um, and how he is old and feeble now mm. and like can barely take care of himself and nobody really knows what to do with this yeah. and how they all kind of pity him now in a way that they resented him before. Yeah. Um, and it's a powerful essay. Yeah. Um, and also just deeply funny. Yeah. Every, every essay. Um, I loved this collection. Like, I want to listen to it again. Like, I think it's great. We're driving down to Sarasota, uh, for the fourth, and I think we're going to listen to it. And this. I think it's an eight hour yeah. audiobook, so they're in back They're again. in back. And That's Jordan it. likes him too, so Perfect. I think it'll be good. I, I think you'll love it. Um, what else did I read? Oh, I read Kitchen Confidential. Ah, uh, um, good. So the book that made Anthony Bourdain famous in yeah. like 1999, 2000. Um, it holds up. It's great. It's so funny. Um, it gives you such a good insight into what working in a kitchen is like mm-hmm. and this like weird underbelly of society. Yeah. Um, and the like brilliant and beautiful people who work there. Mm-hmm. Um, he's tackling so much, even 20 years ago, about immigration mm-hmm. and about who works in our kitchens. Yeah. Um, and this is such an important concept in 2018. So I really do encourage everyone, if you've liked anything Anthony Bourdain has ever done on yeah. CNN or the Travel Channel, any yeah. of that. Was it CNN? I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you like any of that and you want to get a glimpse into who he was as a slightly younger man, Kitchen Confidential is still very good. That's good to know. Yeah. And I think I've heard that from multiple customers who, after his death, decided to revisit that yeah. book. Um, I think I might like to read that one. I think you would. And there's a lot, especially in the early chapters, when he's talking about his like young life as a teenager, as someone in his like early 20s who is still very much figuring himself out, that like I think can get lost if you're not reading it in the right context. Mm-hmm. He's doing some like not great things. He's pursuing some of what he ends up doing professionally for what we might consider the wrong reasons yeah. um, if you are a bachelorette watcher um and so take that with a grain of salt yeah i think he is he is ultimately evaluating that and by the end of the collection you kind of know where he stands yeah but at the front it's just like oh excess and yeah all kinds of 
toxic and terrible things, great, cool. Yeah. That's that's what we want. Yeah, and we have to remember, right, mm-hmm. that like people are human and right. who they are changes. Or, so hopefully, guys, like yeah. who we are, who at eighteen isn't who we are at fifty eight. God, you know? God help us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? um, so. So read read at least that that first 50, 60 pages with a grain of salt, but I think the collection is is really good and holds up. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Can we give two announcements? Please. So if you are a Patreon supporter, then you know by now that we are doing a sale just for you guys uh, of these From the Front Porch tumblers. I'm drinking out of mine and right I, now. I'm looking at mine because I didn't have it before we sat down to record. Uh, they're really cute. Uh, the logo or the artwork has been designed by our intern, Amy Scott. Uh, Amy is a graduate of SCAD, and you can tell. Uh, her work is so well done. Um, so she has designed this really cool From the Front Porch graphic for us. Uh, so it is um, a Tumblr available for $14 for Patreons, patrons only right now. So you can Through go, July 14th? Yeah, through July 14th. So you can go to patreon.com. Chris is going to set up has already sent a link to all of you um so you can get it for $14 after July 14th it's still going to be on sale but there will be a slightly higher charge for everybody else and it'll be for everybody so if you want to snag one of these while you get a special deal and uh, every purchase comes with a from the front porch sticker which is equally cute yep and it's a, a similar design yeah um with and so many fun colors. We have so many cool things happening yeah. on the horizon so that many I'm so excited things. about. What's uh, our other announcement? My other announcement is that if you are a local or semi-local listener of From the Front Porch, so if you are, we prefer, Thomasville, Tallahassee, surrounding areas, mm-hmm. we're hiring. Um, Kate, as you guys know, uh, departed the bookshelf to head on to Wake Forest. We are so proud of her. Um, but as a result, we are looking for a part-time bookseller that's 24 to 30 hours a week. Um, somebody who can come in, who is well-read, humble, and hardworking. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you are interested, you can email Olivia, our manager, at manager at bookshelfthomasville.com. This is not a remote position. No. So this is just if you are a local listener and you love books and you love what the bookshelf stands for, then we'd like to hear from you. Absolutely. All right. We're at the bottom of the barrel again. Started out strong, but now we're coming up thin. Oh, we have cast our lots with all the devils of sin. Oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. From the Front Porch is a production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in Thomasville, Georgia. It's produced by me, Annie Jones, and Chris Jensen, and edited by Chris Jensen. If you're interested in purchasing any of the books we've talked about on today's episode, you can do so at bookshelfthomasville.com forward slash shop. Thank you so much to Forlorn Strangers for the use of our theme music. It's called Bottom of the Barrel from their album Forlorn Strangers. Learn more at forlornstrangers.com. If you'd like to support From the Front Porch on Patreon and gain access to exclusive bonus content like early access to our new cute From the Front Porch Tumblr, you can check us out on patreon.com slash fromthefrontporch or follow the link in the show notes. You can also check out our website at fromthefrontporchpodcast.com for web-only content, a full back catalog of our show, and links to where you can buy these books. This week in the bookshelf, a funny thing happened. I went to the bathroom. Uh Uh-huh. 
to go to the bathroom. Right, like you do. Like, as a human does. And as I was sitting there, I thought I saw a bug on the wall. Oh, no. So I was like, oh, so I grabbed some tissue, and I went to get the bug on oh, the wall, no. and it was poop. No. It was poop. No. It was. Why? I mean, I have theories, but I cleaned it up. The things I've seen in that bathroom. <laughs> Like, I'm not surprised. That doesn't surprise me at all. It doesn't, but five years, like, I've worked here five years, and if you include Bookshelf Tallahassee, six years, mm -hmm. and that's the first time I've cleaned up poop off the wall. Oh. I've cleaned up poop. I've cleaned up poop off the wall. Oh, this is my first wall poop experience. All right, well, wall poop is... It's a whole other kind of poop. It is. So thank you so much for listening. <laughs> <laughs> we will see you next week.